So I knew my self-worth still would exist mm -hmm. despite removing it. And I think that's important for you to move on or to tackle something is to be able to say, I'm still worth something without this. You're listening to the Gangstar Creative Podcast, where we talk and share real strategies, real tactics, and real stories from me and my badass guests to help Gangstar creatives and artists like you thrive in both your business and life. And I'm your host, Ivana. I'm an artist, creative entrepreneur, speaker, and best-selling author. Are you ready to annihilate the status quo of the starving artist? If so, let's get it! Today's Gangstar Creative guest is Mallory Don, or better known by her artistic persona, Ice Cream and Cupcakes. She is a professional fine artist based out of Las Vegas, Nevada, and she uses a variety of mediums, including spray paint, ink, pigment, pencil, and acrylics, to craft mystifyingly surreal, rich colored paintings of the female form. The internationally selling painter often layers complex, intoxicating patterns with enchanting floral motifs that make her canvases and murals a truly eye-catching spectacle. Her unique and realistic art pieces have been placed in countless high-profile venues. Some of these include the permanent art collection for the Cosmopolitan Hotel in Las Vegas, the Mural Oasis in Prim, Nevada, and the World Trade Center in New York. She has also achieved numerous accolades from organizations such as Las Vegas Weekly, named Woman of Intrigue 2017, and has been featured in several magazines. In this episode, we talk about how she transitioned from her day job to working full-time as an artist, how she's been able to gain high-profile clientele, and so much more, everything from pricing and just some deep insight on going about building your creative career. So I'm super excited to share this episode with you guys. All right, I'm super excited to have Mallory Dawn with me today. Girl, thank you so much for taking the time and meeting with me. And um, I'm so excited for you to share your story and everything with the Gangstar Creative listeners. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to yeah. be on this call with you. Yeah. So if you could just tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, who is Mallory Dawn and take us on a journey of where you started and where you are today. Sure. All right. I grew up in Ohio. I grew up in a small farm area in Ohio and there weren't a lot of kids on the street. It was just really me and my brother and a bunch of animals and lots of uh, large yards. So it gave way to a lot of dreaming and from as long as I could remember, I always wanted to go to New York and I wanted to design. And I ended up going to school at Ohio State for, at the time things were really different. You know, we didn't have, I, I can't remember exactly. I'm so bad with time. You'll see that probably as we talk. And we all <laughs> kind of talked about that. Oh man, it's just not my strong suit, but it lends itself in a positive way to my work. And uh, my, my, mental availability to always be working. So there is, there is a good side to it, but I graduated mm -hmm. before, um, before social media and kind of when, you know, computer work and digital things were just starting to come up. So I ended up getting a degree, a science degree in uh, uh, product development and design. So it was very computer based and it was at the beginning of really designing on the computer I wrote the manuals actually for the program at Ohio State with another girlfriend of mine who was in the program and we were both in an academic fraternity together. Mm -hmm. We wrote the 
manuals for Photoshop back then. And I believe Illustrator as well. So this is like so long ago, right? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I'm 75. Whatever. Um, So yeah, at the time I had wanted to go to art school, but really didn't feel strongly about being able to hold a career. And it was so important to me since I was young to always be able to take care of myself. I think it was part of growing up, you know, in a farm area that you really relied on what you had and you needed Mm -hmm. to work to maintain any kind of health and, you know, fill your fridge. And so there was always this drive, you know, to be able to fend for myself and really show up for myself and what I wanted out of life. And I was concerned at the time that if I went into art school, I wouldn't be able to do that. So I went in a more computer-based direction and I ended up starting, I believe my internship was with Victoria's Secret and I designed Very Sexy, that line with um, with them. Oh, cool. Yeah, it was, it was really cool. I would get sketches, really rough sketches from the designers, and then I would have to come up with the actual way that that garment could function in a pattern from a pattern sense. And then I would communicate Mm. with the production facilities on how that works. So like what stitches, what the measurements were, it was, it was very math based, you know, there was a design aspect to it and there was a really large figure it out aspect to it. You know, I had to take something that was conceptual and make it into reality. And that part of the job I really loved. And I ended up at graduation getting an offer from Abercrombie to design menswear on a great team. The menswear team at the time was, I mean, I met the best people in my life, I think. They were so supportive and so loving and so fun. And I really got to find out, yeah, I really got to find out what a dynamic that would help me do well looked like and felt like working with Mm -hmm. that team. So I continued working in product development and then I had such an earning, a yearning rather, since I was little to go to New York and design. And I had an assistant at the time that left and went to New York to do that. And I was like, oh, I can't have my assistant being ballsy enough to leave and I'm not. So (laughs) I packed my bags and actually went to New York. I crashed on his floor at the time it was in Brooklyn off the G train in an area that probably now is absolutely gorgeous and has multi-million dollar homes. But at the time (laughs) that we lived there, it was more like just caution tape in front of the building all the time because something went down. Um, Cabs wouldn't drop us off late at night. You know, it was like a totally totally different level. But I was so happy to be there that I didn't care. You know, I, I would walk to the studio that I ended up getting a design job at we had a location in Dumbo um, and then we, we ended up getting a location in Soho. And after a year or so, I moved into the city and lived in Soho. And I would just walk to work and it was a dream come true, really. The job ended up being not enough for my creative desire. It was just so business related. And, you know, of course, if you're working for a large corporation, there's always going to be a large element of business involved because the motivation is different than when you're doing something for yourself. Um, And some of that you need because you need to learn that that exists. (laughs) So you have structure and you have a sense of responsibility and all those things that help you become a stronger 
artist and business owner later, you know? So I'm so thankful for that. Um, and I'm also thankful for the fire in me that just wanted to create because that gave me the balls to pack my suitcases again. And I was coming out to Las Vegas at the time for a bachelorette party. And I just didn't book the flight back to New York. Wow. Um, I had a little bit of money saved. And um, I, like I said, I, I grew up really feeling like I will always spend for myself and live off of my resources. And just having, I believe, an open and honest responsibility to do that. So mm -hmm. I, I was really optimistic that I could continue that even despite not knowing where I was gonna go next. It was 2008 when I moved to Vegas. So that was right in the middle of the recession or maybe even yeah. you know towards the beginning. So it was really yeah. happening. Vegas was really quiet and it was smaller back then. You know, 12 years ago, it was a smaller town and I found a family really close, really soon after I moved here. A family of friends and people that were supportive and encouraging and I really enjoyed being here. Originally mm -hmm. thinking I would maybe stay here and then go to LA and work for Marciano, guest Marciano, because at the time they were a client of the firm I was with in New York, thinking maybe I would go there originally, but I was feeling where I was in Vegas. I was feeling the quiet and the friends and the opportunity, you know? Mm -hmm. It's really interesting how we all change as we continue to hit new markers in our life, you yeah. know? I was in my 20s at the time and not knowing what was gonna happen was so exciting, you know? It was like, <laughs> real, I, I desired like the that thrill feeling. of the, the adventure yeah. and the risk-taking, yeah. Totally, and the whole world is our oyster vibe. And, and not that it's not now, but you know, now I'm mid-30s and uncertainty feels very different to me now. You know, mm -hmm. so nonetheless, I was lucky enough to be able to maintain living here. And I got a job cocktailing at mm -hmm. um, Wet Republic. So that oh, was cool. super fun. Yeah, it was super I bet. fun. <laughs> Lots yeah. of memories, I'm sure. <laughs> totally. And, you know, no, it wasn't stressful and I knew it wasn't going to be forever. So I never really took that time off after college and I didn't take that time off after high school to you know that figure yourself out time so mm -hmm. for me it was kind of that you know a little delayed but that was kind of where what it was for me and about third or fourth year working for them I had was living in this big loft and needed artwork on the walls and I couldn't find what I needed so this is still we're talking like Facebook's up and running but um, I think Instagram like maybe it was just starting or not even quite yet. Maybe mm -hmm. not even quite yet. Um, so it wasn't like I could go online and find an artist. I really didn't know how to find the art I wanted. And Vegas is young compared to New York. So I, there aren't as many galleries. I can't walk around. It's not quite the same at that time, especially. Right. So I ended up just taking money. You know, my girlfriends were buying shoes and handbags and I loved all of that stuff too, but I took that money and I bought $800 worth of spray paint and then a few hundred dollars worth of canvases from Michaels and Blick. And I started painting what I wanted in my place. 
just for yeah, me. It's awesome. You know? Yeah. And for my mental state, because art and creativity and that, that place of meditation you get to when you're creating, it's been such a huge part of me maintaining a healthy mental state, for sure. And I think that's the case for a lot of people, whether they are full-time creatives or not. It really, it's, it's like medication you know, yeah. and are a vitamin. It's so necessary for me to continue on this journey in life. Yeah. So I posted a few things, friends saw things, and then I started getting requests, like, could you do something for me? And I was like, yeah, sure, you know, and <laughs> just kind of trying to figure out, you know, how, how do you charge friends? It's never a fun thing. Um, yeah. And then I started posting about it. And, um, at the time I had a different Instagram, uh, word of the wise to anybody, don't give up, don't close your Instagram. <laughs> don't ever deactivate your Instagram because gaining back the people that are interested in your work is not as easy as you hope it will be. At least not oh, in man. my experience. Yeah. Uh, that came a couple years after I started, but I was getting so many requests for commission work that I started doing the numbers on me being at the pool, which was profitable and fun and easy. Um, but I knew it wasn't going to be forever and versus what I could make on these commissions. And it was comparable. Mm -hmm. And so I took the risk and I talked to the staff after the end of one season. And I said, thank you so much for the opportunity. I appreciate everything I've gotten from this, the life experience alone, it feels like a whole, I feel, feel like I got to live a whole nother life, you know? Yeah. Um, and, but I'm going to go ahead and, and go after this. And then they ended up hiring me and they were my first real client on the strip. Oh, so they had cool. me do. Yeah. It was really such an honor and it felt like confirmation that that was the right time for me. Mm -hmm. You know, and com confirmation is such a choice, right? Like you get to yeah. choose what reinforces what you're doing. Really, you get to say like, oh, that, that means I'm on the right path. But I think confirmation is important too, because reinforcing your decision making helps you continue on a direction and it helps you move Absolutely. with, you know, it helps you move with respect for your time and yourself yeah. and, and, and pride. And so it was a great moment. It was super exciting. Um, and then it kind of just all continued on from there, you know? What was that first project that they hired you for? It was a commission piece in Jewel Nightclub inside of Aria. And it was a tiger or tiger or lion. I, how I'm so bad with my wild cats. I don't know which <laughs> it is. Um, and then these woman, the woman's hands over the eyes of that large cat. Um, oh, cool. And, you know, hands are a bitch, right? But yeah. oh. I was so, <laughs> I was so proud of them. And at the time, and, and even now I carry it with me, the idea of eat the worm first. Do you know that, that saying? I don't know. Go ahead and elaborate. I feel like I have, but it's the meaning to it's not coming to me. I don't remember where I first heard it. <laughs> uh, I want to say my mom, but, but maybe that's just how I learned to drink tequila. Um, but so in a tequila <laughs> bottle, obviously not 
Casamigos, but you know, yeah, an old school tequila bottle or you know, a different kind of tequila bottle, you'll have a worm in the bottle. Mm-hmm. And the idea is drink the worm first. It's the hardest part of doing something. Yeah. You know, that's what it represents. And so for me, there was something about tackling hands and executing them to a level that I would be proud of. That was really important. And I think it set the tone for, for a lot of decision-making I made later in my career as well. Mm. Tackling the part that was difficult and attempting to master it in some way. That was, you know, that was my level at the time. Yeah. Was taking that, um, was taking that, that decision and that risk of like, you know, leaving your, your cocktail waitressing job and like going and pursuing art full time. Did that like scare you at all? Was there a certain like determining factor or set of amount of money that you had to decide like that made you feel more secure in making that decision? Or were you just kind of following your gut feeling and intuition and just kind of taking that risk and jumping without really having a set plan? Um, I wish I could say that I was responsible and put money aside, but no, I did not. Um, Mm -hmm. I was traveling so much constantly while I was cocktail waitressing that I definitely did not have a safety net financially. Um, So that wasn't the motivation. That didn't prepare me. I think part of it was I wasn't attached to my, my self-worth was not attached to that job. So I knew my self-worth still would exist Mm -hmm. despite removing it. And I think that's important for you to move on or to tackle something is to be able to say, I'm still worth something without this. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think a lot of people listening can take that and really find value with it because, you know, a lot of creatives do have that part-time job or a lot of people do work in um, the service industry, whether it's waitressing or in nightlife or things like that. And, you know, they, but they want to pursue something sure. like this full time and it, it can be scary for a lot of people. So that's why I always like to see if there's like, you know, did you have a plan? Some people do and some people don't. And I think for me, at least I feel like, you know, you just got to do what you feel is, is right for you. Absolutely. And, and you know, people are very different. Everyone's different. And the truth is there are people, and I wish so often I were one of these people who can maintain having a job, a steady job that brings you income, that gives, that ends up giving you the freedom within your creative pursuit to explore. Because Mm -hmm. the thing about giving up something that covers the cost of the roof above your head and food in your belly is then you have to get that through that creative field or pursuit. And that's, I wish that I could have both. I wish, but I'm, I'm just not, I have to put everything into something for me mm-hmm. to really give it everything. And that's just the personality type I am. So mm-hmm. I have to be, no, I have to know that I will not be able to eat unless I go to work today on this project, you know? And yeah. Does that make sense? So that's just yeah. Who I so am that's like your person. driver. It's my drive. It helps light. It keeps my fi- fire lit, you know, mm-hmm. um, because I'm peaceful, like doing nothing. 
<laughs> so like just like reading all the things that don't make you yeah. money. Um, reading, yeah, napping, yeah. hanging out with the cat, you know, so. <laughs> Who doesn't? Um, <laughs> some people I feel like actually like to be busy and you yes. know, I'm cool with like not. Yeah. So I have to have that, that fire lit. But um, yeah. to the people that can maintain and, you know, a, a job that provides those things that those necessities, then your craft becomes a luxury and that's beautiful. And it allows you to really, really find what you want to say and say what you want to say. And, and I think that's so cool. Um, so what, what, I think it depends on your personality. If you really need to let go of a nine to five quote unquote idea. Mm. Um, and for me, I did, you know, yeah. But, I also feel like I was set up that I was set up to do it. You know, it was like, I felt, it just felt like this is finally the time. It's not like I just woke up one day and wanted to paint. I mean, I always had the desire and I always knew it was important to me. And I just felt like, okay, here's your door open, walk through Mm -hmm. it, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So how do you get your clients? Did Obviously, you have a lot of word of mouth because your first project kind of came from, you know, your network, your current network mm-hmm. in um, the Vegas area. Is a lot of most of it still word of mouth and referral, or like a hundred percent? Yeah, hundred percent of it. I, yeah, I don't even know how to, how to otherwise get projects, um, which is also a negative, right? Because <laughs> I, <laughs> I, you know, I probably should be better versed in, in the hunt, but I've been lucky enough to be able to stay busy and, and feel fulfilled and just by the network I've been able to build to this point. Ah, so you've done, you haven't done any um, outreach or any type of marketing or anything like that? I haven't, no. Wow. What kind of advice would you give to somebody listening right now that um, may not have had, you know, the, you know, the, the cards fall into the lap, maybe in the way that it has for you, but, you know, they have the talent, they have the drive and the, the desire, um, and they are looking for ways to, you know, get more, co- more projects books uh, or more clients. What would you, what kind of advice would you give to that person? I think it's really great to find an artist that is near you, that lives in your city or town, um, that you look up to, that you admire their work, and mm-hmm. that are that is at a level above whatever you're at, you know, and offer mm-hmm. assist, assisting them. I think that that's a really good place to start because mm-hmm. yeah, you learn so much from giving what you have. You know, like hold on, I have all these quotes on post-it notes in my bathroom and I have one <laughs> related to this because <laughs> um, I have to constantly self-talk. Um, I love it. But it says it better than I can. So let me find where this is. <laughs> oh, always give value before you ask for value. Mm-hmm. Always give value All before you that. ask for value. And I think that there, there's always something you can learn. You know, I think about college and I feel like, you know what I learned in college? How much alcohol my body could tolerate. That's what I really learned. <laughs> I'm sure a lot college. of people can relate to that. <laughs> yeah. But in my first year of working in the field, I learned mm-hmm. a shit ton, you know? So 
Yeah. Go and assist, offer to assist. Let somebody know how much you admire their work. Do not ask for anything from them other than to assist them. And then shadow, help, and learn and develop yourself through that. I think that's a, there's a huge benefit to, to that. And, and you're given a door at that point to be part of something that you otherwise wouldn't. So you're, you're receiving some value from that, you know? It may mm-hmm. not be financial compensation. I mean, I think I pay most of my assistance except my brother when he helps me. Um, <laughs> but, but you'll you'll receive something. It'll grow you as an artist and as a business owner, which ultimately at some point you're going to have to do if you choose to pursue any kind of art full time. You're going to have to run a business. Yeah, uh, I think that's that's a really good um, takeaway for everyone listening right now. You have a lot of... Um, you have work in hotels in Vegas and a lot of high profile clients, even the world trade center, which is awesome girl. What is the process like to get your work into um, like big hotels like that? You know, everybody, you know, goes to a lot of people have gone to Vegas or, you know, other big cities, you go in the hotel and you always see like the artwork that's in there, especially in Vegas. I love, love, love the artwork that's in all the different hotels there. So I'm curious to know what does that process look like to get your art into a hotel? Sure. For, I can only speak from my experience with it. Yeah. Um, generally, you're dealing with an art department within a hotel or a business, and there's a lot of paperwork. So I have to hold mm. business insurance that covers a liability that's really high. It's like $2 million or something liability for me to be able to work in these casinos, at least with mural work or any kind of installation work. Same with the World Trade Center, as well as a background test or background test? What is that? A background report? What do they call that? Yeah. Background check. check. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, part of quarantine is me just forgetting how to use words. Um, (laughs) Background check. Yes. So, you know, a lot of paperwork basically. Mm. And it tends to be a lot of time because you generally will put, be put on some sort of uh, payroll system with them and, you know, have to deal with all the negotiations of your invoicing and that kind of thing and how you're going to be paid. So there's a lot of uh, logistical aspects to working with any kind of big corporation, casino or building like world trade building. Um, And that I think is again, what's so important for people to realize that are just coming up and see the pretty parts of what an art career could look like. There's so much that happens behind the scene. You know, when I'm not painting for a week and a half, and I'm not able to post anything generally, I'm, I, it's because I'm negotiating a contract and rewriting it and having to go over it with lawyers and then talking to State Farm and making sure that I have this kind of vehicle coverage because I'm using a lift. And then, you know, there's so many things Mm -hmm. and moving parts and planning involved with it. So I think it's really important to have uh, an open understanding of all the parts about being, you know, I guess at that level of work, you know, Mm -hmm. um, being active at that level of work. Um, other than that, then it's just, you know, designing it and going in and executing at least for, from my experience. That's awesome. With uh, the bigger corporations, um, Obviously, you would think they would have bigger budgets, but do you feel like you have more leeway to negotiate your rates or, you know, charge 
your your value um or do you feel like in those situations sometimes it's a little bit hard because of the like bureaucracy of the corporation having to go back and forth and you know talking to the different people um how does that look like um for me i'm pretty fair i usually line item so i will figure out what my overhead cost might be for supplies like an estimate for supplies an estimate for any building materials i might need like ladders plastic any protection anything like that and then cost of time depending on how long i'm going to take to execute it and how many people i'm going to have to hire and i usually line item everything so it makes sense mm. because oftentimes when you go into a project with just a big number like let's say you tell someone the mural is going to cost twenty five thousand dollars they don't understand mm -hmm. what that could be. So I have to, it, it's easier for me if I go into it and I say, here's the budget for supplies. Here's the budget for building materials. Here's the right. budget for labor. You categorize it. I categorize it. And then all of a sudden they realize, oh, wow, this is, these, these projects are expensive, you know, and, mm -hmm. and they can rationalize it better. And, and so that's been what's worked best for me. And even sometimes with commissions for people, I'll do it as well so that they get an understanding because depending on how you're framing your work, that kind of thing, framing can be really expensive and shipping mm -hmm. packaging. I use a, I use a proper yeah. packaging place that packages art and you know, that costs a few hundred dollars, like maybe $300 per piece just to package mm -hmm. it. So it gets to you safely. Um, so I think that it just helps people really understand the value in the work that you're producing when you show them, you know, where it's not all coming to my pocket, you know? And then hopefully yeah. they have the, hopefully they have some understanding of your, your carrying costs, which I don't lie an item, but you're going to have a carrying cost, your insurance costs, your, um, your unemployment costs, you know, anything else that you might have, your studio costs, your travel, that kind of thing. So yeah. I think that that helps a lot for you to get paid fairly so that you're still making whatever rate you feel your time is worth. Yeah, I love that. And I thank you so much for, um, you know, kind of pulling back the curtain on that and sharing all those little details. Cause I'm sure there's like a lot of people listening that are probably like, Oh snap. Like I didn't even think about any of that stuff. So, sure. but you know, so that's, I think that's really good that, you know, you're sharing that. Do you have a certain um, system to how you price your services? Um, I mean, I do it basically like that. So even if I'm giving them just a number, I will calculate approximate hours or a day rate for myself. And honestly, it really helps you grow your, I mean, your value will grow as your clientele continues to grow, right? And the mm -hmm. more time you spend on your pursuit, your value mm -hmm. will continue to grow, or at least that's the hope for all of us. Mm -hmm. um, but when you are able to kind of break down your costs and present them, then you can gradually increase your day rate. If your day rate starts at whatever, I don't, I'm just throwing it out there. I don't even know what mine started at. So let's just say your day rate had started at $250. For you to mm -hmm. get to a day rate of $1,500 or higher, it helps to be able to line item and then gradually grow yourself and set yourself goals. And yeah. I think that your the worth of your time also has to do with how many people want it in a specific period. So let's say summers are really busy for you. Maybe your day rate is higher during the summer, but line item, iteming your 
projects and your commission work and murals and things like that will help you keep track for sure and make sure you're always holding yourself responsible for what mm -hmm. your time is worth as well. So you do it mostly by day rate versus um, like by square footage or oh, yeah. size of I mean, these? For sure. Yeah. I usually do it by hmm. day rate. That's cool. You're I know a lot of artists person that, that I've it, yeah. heard that from. I mean, I can't even imagine. I want to say I did like, it was either 40,000 or 70,000, so many square feet within World Trade Building that it, yeah. I don't remember the number, but also, you know, I'm not good with that stuff. But um, <laughs> I'd have to look through and see. But uh, if I would have done that by square foot, it wouldn't have made sense. And when you're painting yeah. at a large, large scale, like I was, if most of the wall is purple and I'm using, you know, an airbrush machine or like a, what is the paint sprayer or something, mm -hmm. then that doesn't take nearly the amount of time. Yeah. So, I mean, do whatever you need to do. I'm not saying this way is the right way at all. No, for this sure. Is just, this is what makes sense for me. And also if I have something really detailed, but it's small and it takes me so much time and maybe also takes like days of research or whatever it might be, it's, it makes more sense for me to just do a day rate, day rate for myself. Gotcha. That's so cool. I mean, I've heard some people I've heard like do day consider the, their day rate, but then they also consider this, the, the size of it and then the supplies. And so it's really interesting to see how you've kind of focused more on that and can then take everything else into consideration. And I think that shows like the different ways that you can um, value your time in your, your services in a way where you can price it more differently. Um, Cause I can yeah. imagine for murals, I feel like it's probably a lot easier to figure to think about it from like a day rate perspective. Um, as far as like commission goes, it's interesting that you think of it that way too. So that's really cool. Yeah. And also it's not like I read a book or went to school on how to do this. I'm winging mm -hmm. it, you know, I mean, yeah, most I, artists was, are <laughs> right. There, there wasn't a guideline that I got to follow. So I found something that worked and I'm open to altering it when I need to and being yeah. flexible. And like you and I talked, I think before we started re recording, my ability to be flexible, which I think is so key as an artist is, uh, is bad for, for, for things like trying to get on the phone exactly at 11 o'clock, but really mm -hmm. good for things like trying to navigate how you contract work and how you price things and how you spend your time and all this other stuff. Being flexible ends up being an asset for so much of what I do. Yeah. Did you, how did you get that um, at the, the World Trade Center? Word of mouth. I was put into a group of artists that then had to come up with proposals and we were paid for our proposals, which I think is very That's important. Really cool. I think that that's something, I don't know why it's not a standard, but it's very frustrating to me that it's not. Very rarely do you go anywhere and have any kind of like work done that you don't have to pay for. You know, yeah. I mean, it, it really doesn't make sense to me that we're treated differently. And it, it's, it's something that I think we have to change. It's our responsibility as artists to say, yeah. no, my time is always worth it. And yeah, the, for any the work, conceptual stuff. Yeah, for sure. Because, you know, you're at risk for a few different things. First of all, you need to maintain a business. And in order for you to maintain a business, you need to have income coming in. And mm -hmm. not only because this is my only source of income, but because 
my time or your time could be spent on something else. And so mm -hmm. that time needs to be rewarded and needs to be appreciated and it needs to be valued. And that's how it's valued. It's valued financially. So for that reason, but also because, you know, I might give you a sketch for something, but I take time to research that. I, it, it's, mm -hmm. it's an investment that I make. And then it's work that I've done. Even if it's just a sketch, it's, it's work. And yeah. I don't feel comfortable giving that away. And I also don't think that that's a fair way to be treated. Um, and I've had, I've definitely been burned times that I've let that standard go. I've had, you know, companies decide to pay someone less or someone internally to execute something. And it's my rough idea. And so for a lot of reasons, I think it's really important that any kind of proposal you do is, you know, you get paid for it. And the way I set mine up is there's a design fee. So that would be that. And mind you, this company and, and good companies that have worked with artists mm -hmm. professionally, they will give you a design fee. They will tell you what it is. Say, listen, we're asking for a proposal. This is the fee for the proposal, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. But um, otherwise, I always explain to clients that this is why I do that. And because your time and my time are valuable. And then the cost of the design fee goes towards whatever the cost of the project is. So if they're serious, then it's just an upfront investment into something they plan on doing anyways. And yeah. honestly, 90% of the time, they can wrap their head around that and they get it and they respect you for you know, coming to them and talking to them about that. So I think that that's important. As a community, I think it's important that we develop standards that help us all thrive and that we as many of us that can get on board with them and uphold them, you know, because that's yeah. how we elevate our entire group to mm -hmm. be treated the way that we really should and valued the way that we should. I love that. I love that. I mean, that's a big reason for um, this podcast is because I just felt like there, my whole mission is to annihilate the status quo of the starving artist. And I feel like we can do that a lot by what you're saying is like coming together as a community, setting standards, you know, in a way where we're teaching society, you know, that what we do is valuable mm -hmm. um, and that we have to get paid for our time and that we can get paid for our time in our craft, you know? Right. Um, and I think it's, it's really cool that you're even um, sharing that and everything that you're saying, I know is, adding a lot of value to those that are listening right now. Um, was your, so I'm guessing like, so after you turn, uh, submitted your proposal um, for the World Trade Center, I'm guessing that they just picked yours out of the group of artists and then they just kind of went from there? Um, I believe so. I'm or did, was it like a bunch of artists doing different parts of the building? Oh, no, no, no. I was the only one. Okay, so I worked, there's like a ton of floors. Um, I worked on the World Trade Center project with a company that had purchased the floors I worked on. So one company, mm -hmm. um, they had other installations, like they had a really cool magic eye, they had sculpture work. So those were not things I did. The murals in the hallways that span the width of the building, um, mm -hmm. I, that's what I worked on. So, okay. um, so they had an art department within their business already that had hired that hired my, myself and then whomever else they purchased art from 
Mm-hmm. Um, th- we negotiated like design and we got on a, I think a Skype call and went over some designs and editing and things like that for a commission project like that. It was important for me to feel that they were involved with the process of the design because it was their space, you know, and, mm-hmm. and it was such a large space. It was important that that spoke to the business and spoke to the people within it so that they felt motivated to be there. You know, that was important yeah. to me. I wasn't like stubborn about, I'm, I'm very rarely stubborn about, no, it has to be what I came up with and only what I came up with when I'm working mm-hmm. on commission clients. You know, my personal work is, is that my personal work is no, that's the pink I want. I'm good with that pink, you know, but yeah. with commission clients, I'm definitely more flexible because I'm basically attempting to execute something. Generally, I'm attempting to execute something that's already in their head you know, mm-hmm. or like, or fill a void, a visual void of something they need in their life. So mm-hmm. it's, it's a different approach than when I work in the studio on my own work. Gotcha. Okay, cool. Going back to like, um, what you were saying about, you know, setting our standards and, you know, valuing our time and, you know, even having like the upfront cost of doing charging for a proposal or the concept work and things like that. I always think it's important to, um, somewhat share numbers or like what the potential can be in specific creative fields. So I'm wondering if you'd be open to sharing either one, like what's the most, like the most you got paid, like for your biggest project or two, like what number can you throw out there to someone who's like aspiring to be a muralist or artist like yourself, as far as like the potential of income from a project? Oh gosh. I don't know because your income would, would have to be what's left after all your overhead costs Mm -hmm. or just start out numbers. So like, yeah. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if I, I don't want to intimidate anybody either. I really feel like the, the general overhead or sorry, the general large number is not what's important. I mean, I can't really look at it any other way than like, what is your day worth? financially mm-hmm. for your time. That's really what you need to look at. And mm-hmm. then I, I mean, it doesn't make sense. You, you end up creating so many boundaries for yourself. If you just say, well, so-and-so makes X amount on their mural, you know, mm-hmm. and or, you know that they made this much on a mural. So what, what if it took two months, you know, world mm-hmm. trade center took me 30 days, maybe longer, literally every day, 10 to 12 hours. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's not equivalent. You can't really I can't see how you could pit two artists next to each other and they would have the same rate of execution. It's, it's not really mm-hmm. how it works. Everyone's different. What it takes yeah. for me to design even something that I'm going to paint, it may be a totally different process than someone else. So I, I don't know that that's really the right discussion. I feel like, okay. I feel like the a day rate and your, your time value is really what you need to decide and then mm-hmm. start somewhere, set goals for yourself and adjust the goals as you need to or how as the market changes gotcha okay so i can see where you're coming from i know like earlier you threw out like as an example like a wall would cost twenty five thousand dollars and the reason why i bring up this topic is just like some artists don't even know that you can charge a day rate of you know five thousand dollars or even charge twenty five thousand dollars for the uh, for a project of doing a mural so it's more from like that sense just to show like what can come out of um, your work monetarily because some people don't even believe that you know you can make 
any money at all in the thousands from being an artist because they have so many people in their ear saying like, you're not, you can't make any money from that. That's not like something that you can do. So that's where I see the power in, you know, sharing that. But I totally agree and see where you can say like, of course you can't compare artist to artist, and, you know, it just depends on whatever the, the project entails and how long something takes. So that's well, really yeah. And I think that coming from, right. I hear you. So, I mean, listen, your current habits, behaviors, and thoughts are perfectly designed to deliver your current results. So if one of those thoughts is, I can't make money doing this, or I'm limited to only making this much, then you just set that for yourself. So at the end of the day, it's your responsibility. You know, and especially in this time, I don't know when this is going to air or even when we're going to get out of quarantine um, <laughs> or lockdown or whatever you want to call the state of the world right now, which is yeah, so crazy new for us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so unknown. And there's so much uncertainty. I'm constantly uh, being flexible and navigating how to keep myself up and running and what, whatever that might look like, even if it's not gallery shows, you know, because mm-hmm. For instance, in March, I was supposed to show in Miami and that got canceled because of what's going on. So, you know, I, I think that it's, it's up to you to take the thoughts that are going to propel you in the right direction and know that those thoughts are just one part of what will get you there. Your habits, Absolutely. your behavior, and the quality of your work are, are also really important and key for you getting there. So I, lo- I love that. Did you... Um... Do you, so I know you sell your artwork online, like through your website and social media, you've done um, gallery exhibitions, Um, obviously you get like commissions and stuff. I've had a few people kind of have the question of like, you know, selling your art online on different platforms versus like selling your art like through yourself, like, you know, your own website versus selling your art through galleries. Do you have any um, thoughts as, as far as like what you would recommend to stick to or like what your experience has been um, with selling your art through those different avenues? I think sell your art. Mm-hmm. You know, um, act like the last painting you sold is the last painting you're ever going to sell. So you keep working and don't spend too much. <laughs> um, for me, I'm definitely still navigating that. And I think I will forever be navigating that. There's upsides and downsides to it all, of course. Um, you know, everything is a yin and yang. So the gallery is great because they have people dedicated to selling. That's important. Can you be dedicated to selling and also be in the studio working? Not 100% of the time, but they have staff that are 100% of the time dedicated to selling. That's a huge plus. And that's, otherwise you would have to hire somebody. So that's an overhead you're not having to take. Um, and they have a different clientele than what you have, right? Generally, you're, they find a clientele that you don't have access to or they already have a clientele that you don't have access to. And then they, they charge you for that. You know, there's always a gallery commission and usually it's fairly heavy. Mm-hmm. Um, so there you go. There's your yin and yang of a gallery, right? I think that there's some people find prestige also in being in a gallery. I think that's debatable, and I think it's going to become more debatable whether there is a prestige there. Um, 
in the near future or in the future. Yeah. There's plenty of artists that are huge that don't work with galleries and are able to do it on their own, you know, but yeah. they, they, they have a staff and they have a team that takes care of the sales aspect. Um, and then online, I sell prints. I have work showcased online, but everything is done, you know, through email or phone calls or where there's no, like, you can't just go on and buy an original, um, add it to a shopping cart or something like that. But I do sell any prints that I have available. I do sell on my site. That's always nice. It, you know, I think it's, it's great if you can find what I call mailbox money or I didn't come up with that term. That's a real term mm -hmm. that somebody used, <laughs> uh, but mailbox money where, you know, you haven't necessarily had to go after it and it's just come into your inbox, this order overnight or whatever, you know, that's, that's great. Yeah. And that helps a ton. So it's nice to find an avenue to do that. It doesn't have to necessarily be on your own site, especially if you can't maintain the cost where, and there is one of having, you know, an e-commerce site. So there's other opportunities to do that. I think, um, I believe artsy or artsy, is it artsy? Yeah. Artsy.com. And I think so. There's lots of different, there's, there's so tons many of them, right? Yeah. yeah. So there's, there's opportunities for you to have that mailbox money coming in. For me, like I said, I'm navigating through it and I, I think I'm involved with those three right now. I don't know if I have any other avenues, but I'm open to adding things and I think you just find what works for you and know that there's always going to be a yin and a yang to every way that you go and just figure out what makes sense. And at the end of the day, just sell art, you know, mm -hmm. sell your art so that you can keep buying supplies to make more art, but <laughs> always act like that might be the last piece you sell because <laughs> otherwise, you know, you could get yourself in, or at least that's what I have to tell myself. Like, don't get, don't get so excited, it. girl. <laughs> like, go back to work. <laughs> Yeah, that's funny. I love it. Cat every day. You got to go back to work. Go to work. Go to work. So, <laughs> I think self, a... oh, self discipline. Sorry, self discipline is something you have to teach yourself, right? You know, oh yeah, and, and especially as a like a creative entrepreneur, just entrepreneur in general, you have to have. Yeah. That. So I have written all over my studio. Self discipline is the highest form of self love. So I remind mm -hmm. myself constantly, like, get to work get to work. That's how you show you care. That's how you show you care about your day, yourself, your body, your mind, your heart, your head. You know, you have to get to work. You need to uh, show up. Yes. Oh, I love that. That's a, you have that um, like printed somewhere or is this one of the, your like sticky notes that you have? Girl, I have it at a sticky note. I have it in the <laughs> bathroom that says it. I have a chalkboard on the way out the door. Where are you going? Oh, awesome. <laughs> <That's a word. laughs> Don't <Yeah>. forget. <laughs> yeah, it's everywhere. That's cool. Do you have um do you have a team or do you outsource to any type of contractors or have any employees that help you with your business? I don't have anyone full time. I have contractors and I have a key small group of people that I bring on to projects as well as someone that helps manage me. So if I have inquiries coming in, for instance, and it's all like they need to talk money or whatever, then he takes care of all of that for me. So again, like I said, like I mentioned about working with a gallery, if you're working on the sales aspect of your business, then you're not, it's taking time away from you being in the studio. So if you're able to contract out that work and you know, you mm -hmm. don't have the up upfront ability to, cover that overhead, then 
that's a huge help for you to continue to produce. So I've just been doing that. As much as I would love, love, love a team that was constantly around me, I don't like doing anything that I don't want to do. And I feel like I'm also just not a great manager, like 24 seven. So, I mean, you, you know that, like just based on me not being able to schedule a time to jump on the phone, you know, like it, yeah. would, it, would, mean, it would mean a lot of changes for me. And so mm-hmm. since things are working, why fuck it up? Right. Like I'm yeah. just going to keep doing this and, you know, until I need to change. What did the process look like for finding that person that handles your sales? So what is that position called for you? And how did you find that person? Um, and what does a relationship like that typically look like for someone who's interested in having someone do that for them as well? Honestly, I can't speak too much to this because it's really new and I'm still kind of figuring that out. My personal situation is unique, I think, but like it could work for somebody. I had asked, like reached out to some girlfriends when I first started. So I've been painting for four or five years, I think. Um, Mm -hmm. When I first started, I reached out to some girlfriends that were cocktail waitresses and, you know, asked them to basically be in a sales position. Right. And, you know, of course they didn't want to turn down immediate money for maybe she'll do well and I'll get something out of this. So (laughs) it didn't really work. Um, and that was okay. Uh, but I had a friend who I had asked to do that and they were just too busy and not capable of like dedicating any kind of time. And then more recently, I think that they found some avenues that would really benefit both of us if they got involved. So they actually came to me and said like, let's, let's, try this out. So maybe mm-hmm. I'll have more to explain and kind of get into after the year is done and we figure out what that role looks like. But basically, I mean, I call him like my manager. He manages the projects and the emails and the inquiries and really is like so much more business minded in those ways and, and has the time right now. And, you know, is, is a cheerleader. I think it's really important whoever if you do find somebody or you ask someone to help you out with that kind of thing, but they cheerlead you, you know, they believe in what you're doing and and they see a future that you're creating. Um, And he did. So I'm excited. We'll see. We'll see what happens with that. That's cool. That's something that I've kind of like um, thought about and wondered like how people, you know, whether they have like an agency or a manager that handles that. So it's interesting that you found somebody or somebody came to you, somebody that you knew more of a friend. And then you kind of just figured out what works for you. Um, sure. And you honestly, you know, out. I mean, I've, I've been uh, approached <clears throat> by people I didn't know to be in that position. Um, and I, I personally haven't felt comfortable with, you know, to say, yeah, let's try it with anyone else. But um, people might come to you and I think you just ask them, basically what their expectations are and have them write out a job description that they want to fill. I think that that's always really nice when Mm -hmm. someone comes to you and says, I want to represent you, then ask them what, what's your job entail, you know, and have them really put on paper what they're going to do for you or what they're going to do on the daily and what they expect in return. Um, And then also sometimes galleries will act in that way, or um, there are a lot of like, you said the word actually, like um, agents, I guess, mm-hmm. right? Art agents. Uh, 
a lot of the time they'll work in that way as well. And then same, just ask them, what does your job look like and how are you going to help me and have them put that in, in writing. Gotcha. Cool. What would you say is one of the biggest mistakes you made in business and how did you grow from it? Oh man, I wish I had time to think about this one. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, for sure, one of the biggest ones is there's one specific time when I had someone working on a project with me who I contract often and I, I adore her. She's great. And we invested like a decent amount of time into a proposal and we didn't charge a fee because it was a word of mouth referral from a very dear friend of mine. Mm -hmm. And then they took, and, and I have within the proposal, I have, and even within the design presentation, a bunch of verbiage that specifically says I own these designs and all this and whatever. And mm -hmm. they, um, they never got back to us on the proposal, which was just, you know, not the best way of handling any kind of business deal. Um, and then they, they ended up executing a really poor version of it. So that oh, felt, man. that was more like I kicked myself in my ass for doing that. You know, I, I knew better. I set standards just like in dating or any relationship. When you, you will always negate your standard at the expense of yourself, not anyone else. So mm -hmm. it's really important when you start understanding what your standards need to be for yourself, whatever they are, that you write them down and that you truly stick to them because it will only hurt you, you know, and yeah. you need to stay focused on that path. You need to stay positive and you need to stay determined and excited. And when you end up having, you know, being violated, having one of your standards violated, it really, it, it throws you for a loop. It does. You know, and it's not one of yeah. those things where like, oh, but if it happens enough time, it won't hurt as much. <laughs> no, it happens every time. Every time it hurts, you know. Rejection yeah. is different. Rejection is a necessary learning opportunity. Um, and you're fine. You can handle that. You know, you bounce that off. You get back on your path. You do what you need to do. But you know it. You letting down one of your standards or letting one of your standards go is is something that like, it's hard to come back from yeah. harder, harder to come back from, you know? So don't do it. <laughs> yeah. Don't do it. I have to tell myself that every day, you know, when somebody wants a favor that I feel like it's just, it won't let me keep my standards up. I have to be like, no, don't do it. You're going to regret this. If you were to like go back on that situation and to prevent, was, do you think there was anything you could have done to uh, have a better outcome? Is it just charging for that proposal or having yeah. a better contract in place or, you know, I it? think, I think that I, you know, it's having, it wasn't that it wasn't having a better contract. I was thorough about that. It would have been charging and explaining to them, assuming you're invested in this project and you want to move forward, this should make sense to you, you know? And, and also mm -hmm. it's, it's having the confidence that your time is valuable and your knowledge is valuable. You know, like what you have to offer is valuable. It's important. And it may not even exist without you. So yeah. you have to have some confidence in that. And, you know, and then that's, that's what I do. That's how I go about things now. And, and I think if you can explain it to them as if you're both involved, you know, like this is for the benefit of 
your team and mine that you know we have a fee associated with this proposal then mm -hmm. you won't you won't skip it because you'll be like no this is important for us you know going yeah. into this project not me this is important for us yeah well that's good that's good have you ever invested um in yourself and your business in any way other than like supplies like say like you know workshops or conferences did you hire ever hire any like business coaches or have you had any like mentors that has helped you along the way i've had a couple mentors um i've financially invested in my business actually that was i looked at getting a business loan last year i wanted to buy a few larger items and also be able to um bring on you know, the, this person that's going to be managing me and thank God I did it. Honestly, I did it at the perfect time because oh, that's uh, cool. the, the money. So I looked at getting a business loan and then I decided that I would loan myself. I would loan my business from my own personal account. And mm -hmm. that ended up happening at the right time because now the stock market is shut. So it was great. You know, it was a good time to do that instead of having an, an additional overhead that I would owe to a bank right now. I really only owe it to myself and I'm actually still in a deferment period. So that also speaks to, again, like I said, there's so many aspects of quote unquote being an artist or, you know, pursuing this career that are beautiful and colorful and fun and seem relaxing, but you need to understand like you're, this is a business. So I have a personal account. I have a personal credit card. I have a business account. I have a business credit card. When you do transactions, for your future, you need to be allocating money accordingly and keeping track of that stuff. It's really, really important. Mm, I love that. And I love that you, you bring that up because, you know, a lot of creatives don't want to, you know, think about the numbers or, you know, worry about the board, like quote unquote, right. like boring stuff, but it's part of the business. And if you can't, you know, if you're at the point where you can't really afford somebody to handle that stuff for you, you've got to kind of figure out, you know, how to make it work for you because you don't want to screw yourself in the end if this is something that you you really want to do and rely on as a, a career or a way of living so absolutely and I think that if you're going to look at your future and where you're going to go if you're going to present let's say you're going to present like a big collaboration like my name is ice cream and cupcakes let's say I want to partner with Jenny's ice cream which is from back home in Ohio and I love them uh, you know, if I'm going to go to them and say, I want to partner with you, you need to know what you can offer. And some of that is going to be a financial explanation of what you do, you know? And so you mm -hmm. need to know your numbers and you need to know what you can contribute that will benefit any kind of collaboration like that in the future. And also if you want to ask for investors at any point, if you say, you know what, I'm ready to get this warehouse space. I need to put uh, deposit down. I'm, I'm going to need some overhead income to do this. I want to bring on an investor. They're going to want to see your business proposal and they're also going to want to see your numbers. So for so many uh, things that hopefully you will get to encounter in your future, it's important to start getting excited about the numbers, having them written down, understanding how you're going to compartmentalize because who you are and you as an artist may not be two separate people. Like for me, who I am as an artist and who I am, they're very much the same person, but the numbers mm -hmm. still have to be separate. You know, the finance mm -hmm. still has to be separate. I love that. That's, that's really, really solid advice for everybody listening.
Not saying I'm great, great at it. I definitely could be so much better. But, you know, there's a program called Wave that my one of my girlfriends just sent me and I moved everything over to that. But that's a free online program that you can put all your numbers in. You can actually even send invoices. I sent a proposal Ooh. yesterday from there or a quote I sent from there. Never heard um, of that one. Wave? Wave. Let me see what the website is because I have it pulled up right now. Yeah, I've heard of all different types of things. QuickBooks. Um, okay, wait. I, yeah, Quick, of- I think QuickBooks has an overhead cost, right? Mm-hmm. So Wave yeah. Apps, Wave Apps, A-P-P-S dot com. And so far I haven't encountered any financial uh, overhead for this, like any cost to use it the way that I'm using it. And mm-hmm. it's great. It's been great. And then also Asana. Yeah, we use Asana Asana for agency. Well, I failed terribly at using Asana, but I did have have an assistant in October, November, December, because I was organizing some projects that are going to happen this year, and I needed somebody that was part-time consistently. And she and I used Asana. That was great. Also another free service. But that's a good way to start understanding your your hourly. You know, I mean... Mm -hmm. You just check in when you start painting, click a little button, give yourself an hourly rate of however many dollars you think your time is worth. And then by the end of the time done painting, click it again and you can keep track. It really helps you sort all that out. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say earlier, I meant to, I forgot to ask, like, how did you come up with like the moniker ice cream and cupcakes? (laughs) (laughs) Oh man. Um, from an ex-boyfriend, actually, he <laughs> I loved love sweets. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, I loved sweets, and he joked that I could live on sugar at one point in my life. I, mm. I'm a little a little healthier now. Um, I like carbs more than I like sugar at this point, you know, in my 30s. But in my 20s, uh, yeah, he made a joke, and so when I started painting, I really wasn't comfortable just signing my name yet. I just wasn't sure where I was going with it, or what it was going to be, I couldn't commit to that. So I would sign it with a little ice cream cone and a cupcake. And, and then I just kept it because, you know, it's a part of who I am. It was the foundation mm. for me building this career and, and it's fun and it makes me happy. I love it. Cool. Uh, yeah. I had to know what the backstory was behind that. Cause I was like, this is, I don't, I don't see any ice cream and cupcakes anywhere. There has to be some sort of story. So but, funny. Yeah. Yep. That's funny. What, what kind of advice would you, some parting words or advice you would give to the creatives that are listening right now? I would say, don't put off till tomorrow what you can do today. If you can reach out to an artist today and ask or offer to assist them, do it, do it today. You know, if you can work on a project that you've been thinking of, if you can start today, start today. If you can take care of your financials today, take care of your financials today. Don't put off anything for tomorrow that you can do today. And I always say to myself, this includes telling people, thank you. And I love you. Um, I think it's really important that you're thanking the people that are keeping you going and you're telling them that you love, you love them, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, right now I have a Mark Manson quote that I, tell myself when I wake up on the wrong side of the bed, there's always opportunity for creation and destruction. Mm-hmm. So any letdown, any rejection, any uncertainty, 
understand there's an opportunity for creation in that. You know, yin and yang is the perfect symbol, right? Like they both have to exist. It's how you create a whole. So mm-hmm. that reminder has been really important. Um, and then also don't go into anything with the condition that it must give you something specific in return. So go into it with a plan, but don't expect something specific because getting too rigid with your expectations can be really hard to continue after, you know, and if it's conditional, it's not love. And if you love what you do, you'll have a better time doing it. So I think that that's really important too, you know, and I say that specifically towards projects I've worked on where I'm like, oh, this is going to get picked up by hype beast. This is so cool. Mm -hmm. Or like with this idea, right. Um, it's called emotional masturbation. You get like way too emotionally idealistic about what Mm -hmm. could come and you're going through the process with this subconscious or conscious idea of what will what the result will look like and do for you, you're not gonna likely that you're not gonna have one moment that does something. So don't emotionally masturbate. Go into <laughs> it with a plan, execute it to the best of your ability, and don't expect anything in return. You know, mm. do it with love, do it unconditionally. I think that that's really important too. I love that. I love that. I think. That's great parting advice for everybody that's listening right now. Um, Even though there's lots of crazy and questionable things going on, we don't know when the calendar is going to get back and pick back up as far as work goes. Uh, What's next for you? Do you have anything exciting projects you're working on? Um, Anything that our listeners can look forward to seeing from you? Well, luckily, uh, a couple murals I wanted to work on because the business is closed, we're able to work on, I'm able to do them now. So I have a couple murals I'm executing. I have a new collection, a personal collection that I've started and I haven't really explained yet on Instagram, but I'm excited about it. It's, I haven't committed to a direction like this yet in my work. And so that will be coming. And then I'm just trying to continue to offer what I can. So I put up some, uh, color, what are they? The little emotional coloring pages, color, mm-hmm. th- color therapy. Yeah. yeah. So some flowers that you can color in that have little prompts that hopefully trigger memories that are positive because if you can fill yourself with eight to 10 memories every day or eight to 10 feelings, thoughts, ideas every day that are positive, then it it's, tends to trickle down into the rest of your day. So um, offering things that I can to help everybody during this time, just trying to spend time on that. Love I it. Think that's it. Everything else is such a big question mark right now, which right? is ex- let's get excited guys. Cause <laughs> it, it may be a question mark forever. We don't know. So oh, I don't hope it's not forever. It. <laughs> I but mean, the good. truth is it's, the reality is it always has been a question mark. We just mm-hmm. haven't had to admit that. And yeah. this is forcing us all to understand that uncertainty is real and we can mm-hmm. all continue to exist within it. And hopefully we do some really beautiful things uh, with that acceptance. Yeah. 
I love that. Well, Mallory, thank you so much for your time thank and light you. and knowledge and everything and just being so open and honest and sharing everything, you know, with your story and your journey and everything behind the scenes and the business aspect. I know a lot of people listening are going to walk away um, with a lot of value and do some great things with the gold nuggets that you shared. So thank you so much. Thank you. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, listen to a couple more episodes, and share it with a fellow Gangstar creative. I would also be forever grateful if you left a review letting me know what you loved and what you'd like to hear more of. And as a thank you for leaving me a review, I'll gift you both my 10 ways to create a Gangstar brand PDF and 5 ways to boost your online sales PDFs. Just screenshot your review and DM me the picture on Instagram at Devonna Stimson and I'll send it right over to you. Until next time, cheers to annihilating the status quo of the starving artist.